0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church Podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope that you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Isaiah chapter 9. We were here last Sunday evening. Isaiah chapter 9. familiar verse that's on many, many Christmas cards. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Verse 6, this is. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7. And of the increase of his government and peace... There will be no end. Let's just stop there. This glorious prophecy of Isaiah, uh, we see so much more of Christ that it's only possible through the revelation of the Holy Spirit's description of him. We see his deity and his humanity. For unto us a child is born, his humanity. Unto us a son is given, his deity. We see his wonder, he's called wonderful. We see his wisdom, he's called counsellor. We see his pre-existence, the everlasting father, or the father of eternity, that means. Last Sunday night we looked at him as the Prince of Peace. Tonight his title is Mighty God, Mighty God. What a leap of faith. What a revelation for Isaiah. From a baby to mighty God. Even Thomas, Christ's disciple, struggled with this whole concept. you Remember how that in that first resurrection Sunday evening, whenever the disciples had gathered together in that room and how Jesus suddenly appeared said, peace be unto you, and showed them his hands and his side. So there could be no mistake in who he was. And how that, whenever they went back and told the rest, and Thomas was not there that evening, and so he missed it. And so whenever they told Thomas, we have seen the Lord, he did not believe them. Sure he believed that Christ was a man, believed that he was a prophet, believed that he was a miracle worker, Believed even that he was Messiah. But to believe that he was the son of God. Risen from the dead. That was a stretch for him. But the following eight days passed. And again the disciples were gathered in a room. And Thomas this time was with them. And Jesus appeared in John 20. And he appeared in the midst of them. And he looked at Thomas. And he said, Thomas, don't be faithless. Be believing. Look at my hands, look at my side, reach forth your finger, put them in the prints of my hands, put them into my side don't be unbelieving, be believing remember what Thomas said my Lord and my God absolutely convinced that this was God in human flesh he is the mighty God not just that he is our redeemer and he is that. Not just that he is a great shepherd, and he is that, but he is mighty God. And he's mighty to create. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. John one and three tells us all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Ephesians 3 and 9, Paul says, God who created all things by Jesus Christ. Psalm 73 and 6, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. What did John call him in John 1? The word who was made flesh and came and dwelt amongst us. Eight times in Genesis 1 in the creation story, it records, And God said, let there be. And God said, let there be eight times. And it tells us that the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. And so that implies that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all involved in the creation. And without Him, without Christ, was not anything made that was made. He is The creator God. Jesus Christ created the marvels of this universe. This spiral galaxy that we live in is reckoned to have two to four hundred billion stars. They reckon there's a hundred and fifty billion galaxies. Many of them much bigger than ours. And now because of our technology, we're discovering that many of these stars, these suns, has their own solar systems, has their own planets circling. It's only now we're discovering this. For a long time we thought it was just in our solar system. So there's a possibility that there's absolutely billions of planets out there, never mind stars. And every star, and every planet, and every galaxy, all billions of them were created by Jesus Christ. The other day I was driving along, I was going off somewhere and I was listening to the radio. Just as I turned it on, it just piqued my attention because Canadian astronaut Chris Hadfield was on speaking in Manchester to a group of about 60 Uh, school children and uh, he's very articulate and he's got a great way of communicating and he had those children spellbound and uh, he opened it up for questions and answers and so they asked him about his journey you know he's went around the whole earth more than two and a half thousand times if he stayed up for 24 hours he would see 16 sunrises in one day And he said at 250 miles up and flying at 17,500 miles an hour, he says, earth is absolutely beautiful. It's like a jewel shining in the blackness and the vastness of space. And he said that you're flying so fast. He said, imagine if you were on an airplane and you looked out the window you'd say you're flying across America. You looked out the window and you'd see America. And the stewardess perhaps would come and offer you a cup of coffee and you'd sit and drink your coffee and you'd take a few moments to do that and you'd look out again, you're still across America. But he says, when you're up in the International Space Station, he says, you cross Africa in six minutes. <laughs> you cross continents in minutes. He's taken forty thousand photographs of Earth. He says at the start he just was snap happy. He just every moment he could get, he looked out that big bubble in the spaceship and just snapped everything he could find. He says after months of it, you get a little bit more discerning, and there were certain things that he wanted to get. He says the trouble is, he says you have one minute to get it, (laughs) and if you miss it, he says it could be six weeks before you pass by that way again. And they asked him about different things and and how he felt. And then one, I think it was one of the the teachers uh, asked him about, you know, philosophically, uh, what was his thoughts. And he said, well, you know, whenever you're on earth, uh, you're very conscious of of different cultures uh, and, and different classes and different colors of people. And he says, there's a tendency to to think while you're on earth, it's them and us. But he says, when you're up there and you're looking down at this little globe, it's just us. Us and nothing else. So he says, it gives you an entirely different perspective. What it's like being on earth from that distance. Suddenly all the nationalities and all the colors and all the cultures and all the customs... He says they all kind of meld into one and it's just us in the emptiness of space. I don't know whether Chris Hadfield, he's an evolutionist, he made that clear by what he said, but I don't know whether he's an atheist or an agnostic. But like those who are involved in space exploration, uh, they believe because there's such an abundance of planets and there's possibly billions of them that surely... They say there must be life somewhere else, and the argument would go something like this: I mean, if there is a God, and if God created this universe with all those billions of stars and planets, why in the world would He just have one little speck with life on it? You know, the planet Earth is, is is like a grain of sand among all the seashores of all the oceans on the Earth. It really is very, very tiny. And so the argument goes, you know, if God is the great designer, that's a bad economy of design. Why would you design all of that and just have one little speck with life on it? Surely there must be life somewhere else. And that's the holy grail of space science to find life somewhere else. To say, ah, we're not alone because they cannot bear their hearts scared of the very thought that we could possibly be alone in such a vast universe. It's frightening for them, but not for the believer in Christ. We believe this makes earth super special. This makes human beings super special. We are the only planet that God's Son has visited, that he came to, and not only that, he being the creator of the very planet that he came to, took upon himself the very nature of man in his humanity, except without the sin. That's what makes this so unique and so special. The evolutionist doesn't like to hear that. Say, well, if we find a germ somewhere, that proves there's life. That's a big hop, by the way, finding a germ and found human beings. Or we green men somewhere. But we believe, and we believe by faith, that he is the creator of all things. He is the mighty God. John 1 3, all things were made by him. Colossians 1:15 and 17, all things were created for him. All of those stars. In all of their sizes and shapes and colours. All of those strange planets. Do you know they've found a planet that's a diamond. Because diamonds are made of carbon. The whole planet's carbon, so officially they're saying it's a diamond planet. Imagine that. Dear you knows what else is out there that we don't even know yet. And God created all of those for his pleasure. Ever wonder why there are flowers blooming in the desert that nobody sees? Ever wonder why there's fishes and creatures at the bottom of the ocean where nobody's been? Ever wonder why there's all those billions of stars that we could never hope to go to or get anywhere near? Ever wonder why you were born one of 7 billion people on this little planet? Revelation 4 and 11 gives us the answer. In the King James Version, it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things and for Thy pleasure. They are and were created. You were created specifically for the pleasure of God. That's why you're here. He has a purpose for you. And you need to find that purpose in life. Because without finding that purpose, life is purposeless. And that's why the atheist who doesn't believe in God says that life has no purpose. There's no reason for it. You live, you die, you go, that's it. No purpose. No point in it. What an awful way to live. But when you believe that you were created in the image of God for His purpose to give him pleasure. You know, I like to think that on any given Sunday all around the world, there are untold millions of people on this earth who are worshipping the Lord Jesus Christ. And what pleasure that brings him because that's what you were created for, to worship the living God. That Milder made that Palms song popular, didn't she? From a distance. God is watching us from a distance. But that's not true. He came to this earth. He wasn't content to see us from a distance. He came to this earth, Emmanuel, God with us. God incarnate. God incarnated himself in human flesh born in the womb of a virgin who can explain it can't even try mighty to create he's mighty to save Isaiah 63 and 1 who is this who comes from Eden with dyed garments from Bozrah this one who is glorious in apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. What an image of Christ. Hebrews 7:25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. He's mighty. To save. Romans 5 and 9, we are saved from wrath through him. Romans 5 and 10, we are saved by his life and by his death on the cross. Romans 10 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 10 and 9, Christ is the door. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. He is mighty to save. Hallelujah. Fred Carrington was the son of the wealthiest brewer in London in the Victorian era. Carrington Brewery was the largest and the wealthiest in the whole nation. They literally had hundreds of pubs all over the country. Mr. Carrington was a highly respectable man Highly influential, a multi, multi millionaire. Went to church, but did not trust Christ as his Savior. Went to church out of respectability. Went to church for appearance. And his son grew up doing the same thing. His son did not like those emotional and highly personal preachers. His interest was the high church with its intellectual scholarly sermons that bored everybody to tears, but it was respectable. He could not understand the upper classes going to these baser sorts of churches, he called them. And he was being groomed to take over that great brewery went to the finest schools, got the best education. His father would send him off to the continent for months on end to broaden his understanding of the world. Spent a whole year at Windsor, at the Queens Brewery in Windsor, honing his skills to take over the shop from his dad, as it were. Then his best friend, a young, wealthy man, Lord Garva. Told him that he got saved. And he couldn't believe it. Didn't want to believe it. Couldn't understand it. What's he talking about? This being saved business. And shortly after that, he, he went to Cannes in the south of France, in, in the Riviera, French Riviera, to holiday. And he met another young, wealthy Englishman, William Rainsford. And they struck up a friendship. And they just hit it off immediately. And so they spent months together traveling around the continent in the south of France and joined themselves. and, And after it was all over, on the way home, he said to William Rainsford, he says, look, would you come to my father's estate in Wimbledon and stay with me for a little while, just because we're good friends now? He said, sure. And after a few days of sharing and reminiscing, William Rainford said to him, he says, Look, Fred, I'm feeling very, very guilty. There's something I should have told you, and I'm gonna tell you now. I'm a Christian. I'm saved. And he says, Why did you tell me that? And he says, Why did you tell you gone and spoil this thing now? Why did you have to go and tell me that and spoil everything? And he wasn't best pleased. So William Rainford realized at that moment he wasn't going to be able to say much more to him because he wasn't in the place to receive it. And so before he left, he said, look, Fred, he says, will you do one thing for me? I only ask you to do one thing. Make me a promise right now that when I go that you will read the third chapter of John. That's all. Just do that for me. And so whenever he left, Fred thought, well, he was very impatient and he was curious He says, it's a strange thing. He says, my oldest friend and now my newest friend both say they're saved. What can this mean? And so out of curiosity and because he'd given his word, that night he had a bath, put his bathrobe on, lit his pipe, sat down, found a Bible, opened it John, chapter 3, and he started to read. He got down to verse 16. And suddenly the Holy Spirit convicted him to the depth of his soul. And he realized at that moment that he was a sinner and he was selfish. And that night he got down by the side of his bed and he prayed, oh God, save me. I'm a sinner, save my eternal soul. And he says at 20 years of age, I got up from my knees and I realized that I was born again of God's spirit transformation that happened to Fred uh, Carrington. So after that he wanted to do something to help people and he found a man who was helping young illiterate boys and girls and he was giving them studies and so he went along and helped them to do that because he was quite educated. But then he wanted to do more and he discovered there was lots of boys and girls and didn't know the gospel, didn't know but Jesus, so he, he got this old barn with a loft in it, and he invited them to come, and they came. And it was like a little Sunday school class he did with them. And they were getting saved. Then he decided he would widen the scope. And he got this building that would seat maybe about 300 people. It was an old school hall. Fixed it up, invited them to come. And the place was packed. Meanwhile, his dad was very concerned. Didn't like what was happening. So they sat down. They had a conversation. And he says, "Father, I've something to tell you. Something happened to me. I'll never be the same again." And one of the things that happened to him after he got saved was this: He was walking home from one of those classes with those children. He's walking through the East End of London. And he's walking through the east end of London. He was passing a pub called The Rising Sun. And he says there was a mother with her two children. She was ill-clad. The children were hungry and thin. And the mother was shouting in the pub door for her husband to come and give him some money to feed her kids. And he stood and watched. And the drunken husband came out. And he stared at them. And then he went over in the street And with his fist, he battered him to the ground and he went back into the pub. And he said, I stood and watched that and I couldn't say a thing because emblazoned in gold letters above the Rising Sun pub was my name, Carrington. And I thought, I can't do this anymore. I can't be involved in this. And he says, in my head, I said to that drunken father, in my head, I said, with that blow that you hit your wife to the ground, you have hit me right out of the brewery business. He says, dad, I can't do this. I, re- I resign. And his dad accepted his resignation, and immediately his 1,000 pound a week allowance was cut off. 1,000 pound in Victoria in England was a lot of money. That was a fortune. And not only that, he was written out of his father's will immediately. But he didn't care. Because now he had Jesus. And so 300 were coming. And soon that was filled. And then some kind person heard about what he was doing. And he said, look, I've got a big hole, 600. I'll give it to you free. And so... Fred Carrington and another man who was a sportsman, who was a believer, a young man who was a championship runner, an amateur runner. He joined him and soon 600 kids were coming and adults and mothers and fathers. And soon that was packed because he's mighty to save. And that wouldn't do them. So they hired this big tent out It seated 1,400 people. And they put chandeliers up and they got a plot of ground. And within months, that was packed out too, because God is mighty to save. See it. Spurgeon heard about it. And encouraged him to go bigger. But he didn't have any money to go bigger. And so the the head of Barclays Bank at that time, he had heard about it. He says, I'll give you the money to build a big place. And Lord Salisbury says, I'll give you. A lot of money to help you build. Another MP who was very rich says, I'll give you some money. And they built the Grand Central Assembly Buildings that seated 5,000 people. And for the next 50 years, there was a service in that every night, seven days a week. Saturday night was prayer meeting night and testimony night where those who could see gave their testimony. And every night... People came to Christ because God is mighty to save. Not bad for a young man at 20 years of age who gave up everything to serve the Lord. His father fell off a horse and he was dying. And all the family gathered around. They said to the family, I want you all to leave the room except Fred because only Fred knows about these things. And he said to Fred before he died, he says, son, you have chosen the good part that will not be taken away. And father and son prayed together before the dad died. Because God is mighty to save, isn't he? He's mighty to save. He's mighty to deliver. Jesus made that special journey for one man In Gadara, that demonized man who lived among the tombs, who cut himself, self-harmer, ran naked among the tombs. They couldn't bind the man. He was so possessed with supernatural powers. And Jesus made that long, long journey for that one man. And when he got to that man, he set him free. Commanded that unclean spirit to come out of him. And he says to him, What is your name? He says, We are legion. We are legion. A Roman legion could be anything up to five or six thousand soldiers. You remember how they bagged him? Because they knew he was going to cast them all out? Because he's mighty to save, he's mighty to deliver they begged him, let us go into the pigs and 2,000 pigs if there had been 6,000 they would all have jumped over the cliff but there was 2,000 and they ran down that hill and ran over the cliff because he's mighty to deliver he raised the dead he made the blind to see, the lame to walk because he's mighty to deliver so when Isaiah prophesied all those years ago 700 years before Christ came and called him Mighty God. And never did he realize exactly what he was saying because he is a mighty God, isn't he? And that's the Savior that we know and we love and we serve tonight. Aren't you glad tonight that you're a believer in Jesus Christ? The creator, the Savior, the deliverer and a thousand more besides, amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you that right now he's seated at your right hand where he ever lives to make prayerful intercession for us. So we bless you that we're in good hands tonight. We belong to the mighty God. Thank you for his life, for his death on the cross. Thank you, Father, that he's raised from the dead. He's seated on that throne, and he's our soon-coming king. So we are highly privileged tonight to know him as our Savior and our Lord. I give you thanks that at this Advent season that we are reminded how he came into this earth as that tiny little baby. And yet he was the mighty God. Lord, our minds cannot comprehend the depth of it. But by faith we receive it tonight. So we give you thanks for who you are. For what you have done. For us. For me. I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or even download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.